Good afternoon, this is your captain speaking with just a little flight information. We're flying at an altitude of 37,000 feet and our airspeed is 400 miles an hour. A couple little facts here, I'm packing a Colt King Cobra, that's a 357 caliber firearm with a black rubber grip and a six inch barrel, capable of piercing body armor at a distance of up to 27 feet. And I can put a hole in human bone and flesh the size of the Grand Canyon, which, by the way, is coming up on the left-hand side of the plane. So just sit back and relax and enjoy the rest of the plane. No, not you, not you. Your organization's terrible. Should I tell you? Should I tell you? Oh, you Boy Scouts, but you know life, you know life. I'm totally off script right now. Hey, News Dive, it's Sam Carliner, and today we are talking about Portland, uh, the horror, the good, the bad, and we are joined by none other than Portland-based journalist uh, who has been on the street just about every day uh, since the protest started, Robert Evans. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, how are y'all doing today? We're good. We, I guess, unlike you, are living in a, a normal town, state, in a democracy. So No secret uh, police here. No secret police here yet that we know that of. That we know of. That would make them more secret. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you say that you're living in a democracy, because I, I will say I have never felt more, uh, more like I'm living in a democracy than I have over the last 50-something days. It's just a democracy that's based heavily around people taking shields and uh, charging the steps of a federal courthouse with hammers. Uh, but it's definitely democratic. <laughs> well, we don't have, we don't have pepper spray or, or tear, no, we have pepper spray, what am I talking about? We don't have tear gas in New York, but I've been doing some coverage of New York and uh, it's, it's when we're not being attacked, it's nice. Like it's, it's people actually setting up food camps. So, uh, so I can relate to that, maybe not the, the choking but definitely the people has been nice to say yeah the thing that keeps you coming out every night uh even during the worst parts of this because we're not we're at the most violent part of it but it's not the worst part the worst part was when it looked like the movement was dying and like as a journalist you would go out and there would be maybe a hundred people you know and you would just be watching this crowd of a hundred people go up against an equal number of cops and feds and just get the shit kicked out of them and it was terrifying you were always worried about being arrested um and people were just getting really messed up and there was never no chance of like winning um and and that's changed in the last few nights so it's 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 a lot it's definitely like it's still it's difficult and scary to cover at times but it's not emotionally shattering to go out at night anymore at least for the time being you know there was a down there was a lull for a while it did feel like things died down and and I don't know if that was in part or uh, at all related to this sort of dying down of the the media coverage of certain uh, you know hot spots and areas where people were still out there on the streets, or if it was a combination of other factors. But it is uh, it is interesting to see it now surging again in a way that it it just did not look like it was going to turn out. Yeah, you know, it was um it it's been going on so long that there's been like eras to it right like we had uh like like the first weekend which i think is its own era um we had kind of the cool zone era um we had the um the area where it looked like every era where it looked like everything was on to collapse and now we've got this kind of we, reinforcements came in over the weekend right 
that was one of the big surprises to me because when like the moms and stuff started coming out and kind of this more this less kind of a little at least what, what would have been a couple of weeks ago politically a less extreme crowd came out you know we had those numbers earlier in the movement but they would they kind of deliberately split from the more extreme chunks of the crowd so they would go off and march around and not confront the police and then there was this chunk of the crowd that would go and like we're going to go fight the cops now and that was like what they did and now this chunk, this this much larger group of people who I would have expected earlier in the movement to kind of do the march around and then avoid confrontation thing are now like cheering the black block kids on as they try to burn down the doors of a courthouse. <laughs> like the Banksy painting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <sighs> once I'm the leaf blowers saying. come out, once the leaf blowers come out, that's how you know you've got the uh, you've got the crowd on your side there. Well, I'm waiting I mean, for like really well too. I was hand, hanging out by the phalanx the other night as they were just getting pounded with tear gas, and they had a couple of leaf blower people standing around the flanks of the phalanx, and it kept it kept it breathable. It was really yeah. uh, it works really well. People I'm don't realize the sorry, flood. Oh yeah, no, sorry. I'm waiting for just the flood of political cartoons of just Trump complaining like this isn't what I meant by build a wall because you know that's <laughs> going to come. Hey, people forget, people don't realize how much the, the breeze actually helps when you are suffering from uh, oleoresin capsicum or whatever they use in the tear gas. Uh, that OC spray is no joke. And I remember when we did it, when I was in the military, we did it for training purposes. We got hit. And I just, the guys are just walking back and forth as fast as they can, trying to get a little breeze on their face. You're getting the milk and the water, trying to wash it out. And it just, that stuff is brutal, man. I Props to you for, uh, for going through that out there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, at this point, the only thing that really scares me is is arrest, right? Like the impact munitions, you know, the rubber bullets are shitty, but I wear armor, um, you know, so it's really only a facial shot that's a big worry. Um, the 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 lesser impact munitions, I don't even notice getting hit by pepper balls anymore. Um, the tear gas, like the the feds have some gnarly tear gas that's like fucking so much worse than the normal tear gas, and that shit sucks. Yeah. Um, but none, it's not scary anymore, right? Like everyone's been gassed so many times that like nobody freaks out about it. Everyone's kind of like, oh, I'm blind again. Okay, time to go do the thing I do when I get tear gassed, which is stumble backwards and yell out for water until somebody washes my eyes out. Well, we do want to talk more. We have a whole plan to talk about the uh, all the ways, all the ways that press freedom is being eroded in this country right now. But uh one of the larger reasons and things I want to start with is just the background of what's going on in Portland, because while more info has been getting out, I think there are still a lot of people who don't really understand how it got to where it is, what the background is. So I, I'll, I'll, I want to pivot a little bit just to the the setting up the context, if you're cool with that. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, so I, I know you published uh, a very good timeline of events, and I picked out some things that I, I think would probably be good to go over. And uh, I guess the first is that this, uh, you say it started, depending on who you ask, either May 27 or May 29? Yeah, May 27th was the day that um, a group of, like a kind of a coalition of activists led by um, some indigenous activists and uh, black activists, uh, other activists of color, um, started an occupation of the courthouse steps. And it was kind of reinforced by a young activist from the Youth Liberation Front. Uh, they got raided by the cops on, I think, the night of the 28th. Um, <clears throat> but it was mostly, like, pretty chill, honestly. Like, when I showed up on the 29th, a couple of dozen people, they had some tents set up. The police were nowhere to be seen. And then, of course, there was this big rally 
through George Floyd on the 29th. It starts at this park and then marches down to meet up at the Justice Center. And people also start gathering at the Justice Center while like a couple of thousand people are marching down from Peninsula Park. And you wind up with thousands of folks gathered around the Justice Center. And it was one of those things where I don't think anyone planned it, but um, there was a certain point that once the crowd reached a certain size around the Justice Center, I just knew in my heart, they're going to fuck up the Justice Center. Like they're going to, they're going to light this thing on fire if they can. Um, and sure enough, people just start kicking in the windows and the doors. Like at one point I'm filming from the outside as people are throwing rocks from inside the building to break the windows outward. <laughs> it was, which was dumb because it got a lot of glass on us, but I, folks were having a good time. Um, and um, yeah, the police showed up and uh, they told everyone to disperse and, they're in the in what might be the only gentlemanly moment of the uh, of the whole thing. We're like, if you're here with your kids or your dogs, like it's time to leave. We're going to start shooting at people. <laughs> like there was this this moment, and the, and like yeah, like half the crowd was like, all right, well I I did the thing that I was going to do. I'm not going to go get shot at by the cops all night. And the other half of the crowd was you know decided it was time to get tear gassed and then go riot. Um, so they got tear gassed and dispersed and ran through town. They lit all the banks on fire. They looted the luxury shopping district. That was our only really real riot, but it was definitely, you know, Portland had that. It, it's fair when the police say that the city rioted that night, that one was a real riot. Uh, all the riots I've seen declared since I would more describe as police riots or federal agent riots. But that one was a, a normal city riot. For sure. Yeah, you can you can have that one. That we'll we'll give you that one. That's a riot. <laughs> well, I was yeah, uh, for sure a riot. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to also uh, another person from Portland, a documentarian named John Meyer, uh, who said uh, that that a lot of this, uh, in his perspective, was influenced by the May Day protests in 2017, which also made somewhat national headlines for Portland. Uh, I'm curious, like, w would you say that sort of the the protests that happened uh, in 2017 had any influence on the, the protest culture of Portland now, or is that just a separate thing? No, no, it, it, it all has an influence. And part of why I moved to Portland was because I, I had a feeling a year, you know, more than a year ago, really, but I had a feeling about a year ago that like this, something like this was going to happen. And it's because Portland has a really interesting mix of factors going through it. They have um, a really dedicated and experienced activist community who's not just been experienced like organizing marches, but has been has got a lot of experience over the last couple of years having physical confrontations, right, as a result of all the Proud Boys and stuff coming into town. So you've got kind of this hardened core of activists in the city. And you've got a generally pretty liberal to left-leaning city that's at least broadly sympathetic to a lot of their aims. But then outside of Portland, you've got a lot of really conservative um, communities. Um, and that's where all the cops live, is in the, these kind of much more right-wing suburbs. So it's kind of this, this perfect microcosm of a lot of the conflicts in America. And... Um, <clears throat> So yeah, in that way, like you could kind of see it coming. And you know, May Day 2017, if I'm not mistaken, actually, it was May Day 2017 that the Black Block kids, because of that, you know, that Kendall Jenner commercial uh, where the lady hands cops a Pepsi. The Black the docu Block, the kids, documentary, you mean? Yeah, the documentary. Well, I, if it's if I'm not mistaken, that was the rally where the Black Block kids came out with these. They had these like big inflatable looking spider things um, on top of carts filled with cases of Pepsi. And they just started chucking Pepsis at the cops. <laughs> and, like, um, and sure enough, at the July 4th rally, someone brought one of those spiders out again. And the cops, as soon as they saw it, they like 
shot the spider down with impact munitions and then threw the dude carrying it on the ground and like dragged him on his back across the asphalt into a cloud of tear gas to arrest him. Like they fucking hated that spider. So things do go back quite a ways, both in terms of the activists being angry at the cops for brutality and the cops having a lot of personal grudges against folks in the activist community. So like, yes, this has been going on for a while. You know, there's a lot of, of, um, there's a lot of, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, the thing under a house that, uh, is the foundation, the foundation behind it. Thank you. Yeah. So my understanding is that there, the, there were a few escalation points. I don't know if, uh, turning points, uh, more just, uh, catalysts, I guess. I, I know that the, what's being called tear gas Tuesday and then protests on July 4 played a big role in sort of ramping up the police violence. Is that correct? Um, yes. Tear Gas Tuesday was a big escalation. So, you know, we had our Friday night, and then the next night we had um, a really peaceful demonstration that the police were just beating people's fucking faces in with sticks, um, and then they tear gassed traffic repeatedly and a bunch of houseless people. And then the next night, um, kind of the same thing happened, uh, but but uglier, and the night ended. You know, we had this huge march during the day, like 10,000 people, and the night ended with, like, the police dispersing it. And they were just like driving through the streets, shooting at people from moving vehicles, like groups of like, like they, I was alone and they shot me in the foot with the grenade because <laughs> like, um, they were just firing at anyone who they saw on the street. It was pretty wild. And then we had a, a, a Monday. Nothing happened, really. Like there was a huge march, but it was like the kind of, you know, peace police march where they would yell at anybody who like tried to throw stuff at the cops and they deliberately didn't want to have a confrontation. And they did. They marched in a nice big circle and nothing happened. Um and then some people were like, that didn't seem to accomplish anything. So the next night, when another giant march headed out, uh, about a thousand people split off from that march and marched up to, this was Tear Gas Tuesday, marched up to the fence the police had erected around the Justice Center and the um, and the uh, the federal courthouse and just wouldn't leave the fence. And so eventually the police started shooting uh, pepper balls through the fence. And when people got shot with pepper balls, they got angry and they threw water bottles back at the police. And then the police tear gassed everybody um, and tear gassed everybody on all sides. So they kettled like a thousand people with walls of gas, including hundreds of motorists. Uh, it was uh, pretty, pretty insane. Um, up until the last couple of nights, it was the most gas I'd seen on the streets. And now every single night, the feds drop more gas on the streets. Yeah, no, I've been seeing just anyone I follow from Portland has been like, yeah, gas, gas isn't a problem after a while. Yeah. Um, which is a wild thing to think of having fortunately never been gassed myself. Um, but just are very hardened at this point. Um, like you, you'll hear people talking about like how many times they've been shot in the body with impact munitions. I'm like, okay, I'm limping too much. Like I have to head in for the night. Sorry, guys. <laughs> like, like we'll be apologizing because they've been shot repeatedly in the leg and they need to go home. Um, there are people, people have gotten very tough. <laughs> well, I feel like, I mean, even beyond Portland, uh, like I was just talking to someone the other day uh, who was protesting in Dallas and she was like, yeah, I've been pepper sprayed so many times at this point, you know, you get pepper sprayed, you get up, you keep going, which is, uh, I, I really feel like the whole idea to squash protesters with violence has backfired phenomenally. Um, yeah, in well, some ways. Thing. The violence only works if it works immediately, 
right? You can disperse if if you can disperse people with enough violence that um, it scares them too much to come back. If you can break them very quickly um, and run them out of you know wherever they are, then as the state, yeah, that can, that works sometimes. Sometimes just cracking down very quickly with unbelievable brutality um, does the job. But if you don't break them immediately it starts to become fun for people in the same way that combat's fun, right? There's a reason young men keep going to war, even though it's a real bad idea. And it's because getting shot at is exciting. Having that like adrenaline rush is exciting. The feeling of camaraderie that you get with the people that you're getting shot at with is, um, is really rewarding. And when you don't crack down quite enough to break people, you give them that. And especially right now, people are being given that during a pandemic, which has cut down most of their other social outlets. So you've got this huge crowd of people. Now all these moms in town are being like, oh yeah, it's actually kind of like fun to get tear gassed and then run and reform and to like fight the police. Like it's kind of a hoot um, if you do it right. You know, there's consequences. It's scary at times, but like there's also this, um, this deeply satisfying aspect of it which is why people have kept it going for 55 nights now, right? It wouldn't still be happening in Portland if everybody hated every part of it, right? Like most of us go home shaking and like wake up shaking a lot of mornings. Um, but when you're actually out there, it's the most satisfying thing in the world to be out there. And it, it that's what keeps people out there. And there is an extent to which I think everyone in the town is now robbing Peter to pay Paul, right? Where um, the PTSD is going to be pretty friggin' gnarly when this all ends and folks have to actually like deal with what they've been doing to their heads. One thing I think that might help us is just the fact that so many people have gone through it. Right. Um, there's a reason that, for example, uh, soldiers in Israel have lower rates of PTSD than U S soldiers, even though the fighting they're doing is the same. And it's because in Israel, soldiers go back to like a culture that um, everyone's served. Everyone's done like the thing, like the shitty thing that you just went and did. Everyone else has been through it. And so you're not just like heading back into this area where it's like whatever you went through is completely alien to everyone. Like the United States, soldiers have horrible rates of PTSD because you tend to be going back home to like a community where nobody knows what the hell you went through. Um, and at least in Portland, that's not going to be a factor, right? Like everybody now, pretty much anyone that you're going to wind up hanging out with, if you're someone who's been out at these demonstrations, has been out there with you and knows what it's like. And so I think that will help, you know, in the end. I do want to talk about one of the bigger casualties and uh, really I think the casualty that was prior to the whole kidnapping videos or disappearing videos in my from my my gauging uh the bigger th uh the bigger thing before the disappearings which is Donovan Donovan Labella who's the guy who just got hit directly in the head yeah uh yeah. And needed facial reconstruction surgery, I believe. Yeah, yeah, they, they shattered his skull, um, and yeah, they're they have they're having to like rebuild his face. Um, you know, he's he's going to be permanently altered as a result of like his injuries. Did that, that? Oh, sorry to cut you off. Yeah, no, I was just saying they're that severe. Mm -hmm. Did that have an impact? Because I know I imagine if the video went around to New Jersey, it was going around in Portland, I'm sure. Yeah, that had a big, the two things that had the big impacts on bringing people back at three things really that had the big impact it started with Dom. It started with Donovan LaBella getting shot in the head that everyone realized something is, is awry here. These are not just police. Um, I did try to make that warning a little bit earlier, um, but that, that drove it home to people. 
Um, and then like a night or two later is the video of the Snatch fans. And that really started to get folks furious. And then at the same time as that happened, the president declared the protests in Portland quelled. So you had kind of all of these factors. People get really angry. They got really scared. And then there was a challenge from this president that they hate. And I, I do think it's a significant factor in why people have been coming out is you do have all these folks who have just been angry for four years, right? And have felt like hopelessly angry for four years. Like everything keeps going against us and like there's almost no point. Um, like how are like I, there's no winning. Um, and after that, it's like, well, if you want to feel like winning, you can come help pry open the gates of a federal courthouse uh, and then try to beat the, the agents back inside and throw water bottles at them. Um, and so that's a factor like, right, that's that's something. And, and by doing that, they're directly like the president has declared that he's going to quash what's happening in this city. So by coming out, you're able to actually directly screw with him. So that has, I think influenced a number of the people who are coming out now after you know weeks of of kind of dwindling numbers mm -hmm. well i know that you and a lot of people in portland had been sounding the alarms before those videos and i i'd probably say fortunately yeah that it has become a, a major topic right now i do want to sort of talk about the potentially right ways to make it a major topic and wrong ways because uh, half of this show is just uh, media criticism. And I, I know that this sort of uh, on July 17, there was a somewhat infamous tweet uh, by Josh Campbell of CNN, who said, uh, headed to Portland, going to sort out what in the world is happening there. Yeah, dot, that was dot, frustrating. Dot. Yeah, we don't we don't need help sorting it out. Uh, a a lot of really good the Portland press corps has been majestic during this period of time. Um, you know, some really incredible uh, from traditional reporters uh, like Alex Zelinsky um, and Sergio Olmos, who have done like some really good on the ground gumshoes reporting, as well as um Oregon Public um, uh, Public Radio has done some pretty good investigations too. To um, folks who are kind of less traditional, so obviously, like there's myself, and I do a mix of traditional journalism, like I did for Bellingcat, and you know, sort of more um, uh, uh, light, like like a lot of live stream content, which I think was uh, mine was particularly influential earlier on in the uprising. Um, you've got folks like Lindsay Smith, who's a, a kindergarten teacher, um, who just started coming out and has been out, has seen some of the most violence of anyone out there, and just like keeps going out and filming it. Um, We've got people like Garrison Davis, who is a parkour instructor and a 17 years old um, and had never done any kind of journalism work uh, when uh, like really when this when this started and is now like providing NBC with most of its footage. Um, you know, you've got uh, Donovan Farley, who is a, you know, a legacy journalist, does a lot of he wrote for like uh, Rolling Stone and Playboy, who's been um, repeatedly violent, horribly assaulted by the police. He's been more injured than any other journalist. He just had a couple of ribs broken, I think, um, and keeps coming out. Um, so yeah, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm very, very deeply proud. Tuck Woodstock, who's done um, some really wonderful work too. They've put together some of the most like detailed threads about what's happening. Um, and, and has again, been just sort of a consistent figure on the ground too, covering things. Like I'm just, I'm so impressed and proud of the Portland press corps in a way that like um, is never not surprising to me, not because I didn't have faith in them before, but because number one, a lot of these people weren't doing this kind of journalism before. Most of them weren't right. Almost no, none of them were. Um, and they all just sort of 
rose to the occasion of spending eight, nine hours a night getting shot at uh, to to get the story. I was gonna say not to mention the financial and professional precarity mm-hmm. that uh, the local journalism you know field is under broadly. I mean, especially coming from legacy journalists, where you know you you if they're not furloughed for for weeks on end, they've been laid off or. Uh, or just flat out fired or had their newsroom bought out from under them. So, I, I mean, we see that in New Jersey here as well. I mean, you, you, there are still a, a solid core uh, of, of what one might call traditional reporters who are, are local. They're on the ground. They're doing it day in, day out, blood, sweat, and tears kind of thing. So I'm glad to hear that that's uh, that yeah. shining. And, you know, now they're starting to get, obviously, money's coming in from the big news agencies for some of them, um, and that's good. Uh, pre- previous, previous to this, a lot of them are being supported by the community. And, like, one of the things that's been really, one of the things that's been really um, gratifying to see is kind of the, um, how protective and how um, uh, supportive, like, the Portland protest community has been of, of their local reporters. Of the ones that they know um, aren't going to go out of their way to, like, film their faces and send that into the fucking cops. The people who are like the people who have been getting the real story and who have been doing it responsibly um, have earned a lot of love in a way that's been, again, really gratifying to see. Um, Yeah. What is sort of now that now that you do have bigger outlets coming in, what what are they doing? Like, are they are they good? I know that you were interviewed by The New York Times, Alex Zelensky, uh, I saw on CNN. Yeah. So they and, have uh, Sergio Olmos has published a couple articles with the Times now too. Um, mm-hmm. Garrison was just on uh, ABC um, Nightline, I think it was. So there has been yeah. this plugging of the Portland journalism community, uh, but have there been any areas where larger press could potentially improve? The only thing that larger press can really do to help right now is get the work of the local journalists out to a national audience. So by buying their footage, by putting them on their shows and talking to them, that's useful. Um, as these nights have continued to get more intense, I have not seen the national journalists from the big agencies staying out, right? Uh, they've been they've been hanging out to like 10 or 11 until right before things start and then heading back to their hotels and buying footage from people. And I think a lot of them are scared and it is scary um, when the feds start firing. They're just shooting wildly. And often they will target where the press is grouped up and just start firing automatic uh, pepper ball fire into a crowd of journalists and shit on rubber bullets and stuff like I get why they're worried. Um, but I haven't seen them doing anything. Other than, you know, it, it, to, it, and like, I don't mean that against everybody because like, um, you know, I think the New York Times has done a very responsible job of going to Portland journalists. I think they've given folks like Sergio um, just been kind of like, OK, what support do you need to go after these stories that, you know, are there and like we will we will get them out to an audience. Um, and I, I felt good about that. I, as a general rule, I continue to feel a little bit gross about cable news networks. Um, and I that that's kind of more my issue. Right. Um, and again, what, what Portland journalists need is a megaphone to hit the rest of the nation, um, and, and money, um, cause money's nice. Uh, they don't need, they don't really need help to get the story. They've been getting the story for 54, 55 nights. You did mention the attacking of press, uh, from police. Uh, and I know that you and a few other journalists there are suing the Portland Police Bureau. Can you, can you talk about that targeting of people covering the protests? 
Yeah, um, it's been pretty bad. So I had um, one of my uh, assistants, one of the people who's been working with me, uh, Beatrix, got arrested one night for asking an officer his name. Um, he told her press passes didn't matter. Um, and yeah, it was a pretty, uh, thankfully, she didn't get assaulted. Um, but uh, that happened to a number of, like Donovan Farley was filming an arrest one night and the police just started beating him in the legs with truncheons and then maced him while he was walking away. Um, Corey Elliott was slammed into a couple of walls, uh, maced in the eyes, uh, and then eventually arrested for saying an officer's name on a live stream. Um, and uh, his partner, uh, was uh, who, Leslie, who was out, was also arrested for like filming, um, just kind of standing in the street and filming. And she was like puking from tear gas while they arrested her. It was pretty gnarly. Um, they've continuously, you know, uh, Donovan Farley just got, you know, shot again and like had a rib broken. Um, they have, you know, a, a number of other kind of journalists who are kind of newer to Portland and newer to the streets or at least newer to being out have been hit in the last couple of nights. I was standing, you know, in a corner of the, um, of the, one of the parks in front of the courthouse filming a federal riot line open fire. And they started shooting directly at, at this chunk of press. And the guy in front of me got hit right in the gut by a rubber bullet and like peeled over. It was, um, you could just hear them whizzing past you. Um, so yeah, like it's, they definitely don't like being filmed. Um, and they, they definitely don't like uh, being, um, um, they don't like the press being there. They would like to be able to beat and shoot and arrest us um more and in fact the federal the feds are actually arguing in court that uh press should not be um uh kind of immune to the dispersal orders which they are at least with our local police because of a federal injunction which is trying to which is protecting up until october local press from police orders to disperse um although they just arre they arrested um uh one of our reporters um uh but, uh just like a week ago or so um, at an action outside of the Multnomah County Sheriff's office, who was just kind of like standing in a line and filming. Um, so yeah, you know, um, they, 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 they like going after us. There's a lot of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm listening to this and I'm just thinking about how much people uh, cough when they get tear gassed. Um, how, what have you seen from the, from, from the demonstrators and from the crowds out there uh, in terms of, you know, the pandemic awareness? Um, it seems from what I've seen that, I mean, masks, masks everywhere. Um, I, social distancing is one thing, but what has been the conversation around that, if any? And is that still a factor um, oh, in yeah. planning? I don't think there's a higher risk of COVID-19 spreading at these demonstrations because not only is everyone wearing a mask now, damn near everyone's wearing respirators, right? Yeah. They're like do even more to actually filter the air. Yeah. Um, people are pretty, they could always tend to be more careful, right? Especially, you know, there's a decent chunk, like with any Portland protest, there's going to be a decent chunk of like, um, you know, houseless people and kind of folks who are just sort of showing up to like, chill out and party like that's that's you know going to be 10 20 percent some nights of folks who show up in the parks and there are chunks of those folks who either because they don't have access to the resources or because you know because it, it, some of them are like drunk 20 year olds who don't take as many precautions as they could vis-a-vis -vis max uh, masks but for the vast majority of people um they've been very they're very good about keeping the masks on and keeping the respirators on both out of necessity because of the, the the amount of tear gas and because people are, you know, pretty health conscious. Like they don't want to, they don't want to get anyone sick. Well, I know there's been studies that there's no sign that protests are causing a spike in cases. 
I don't know if you saw, there was like a video going around from New York where you have all of these people not wearing masks, dining out, and then just a giant march going by and everyone's wearing masks, which has been my experience. So we'll, we'll be honest about our biases on the show. We're, we are very pro-protester here at News Dive, and I do think it's telling that the more people show up to protests, at least from what I've seen, the more likely they are to wear masks. So, yeah. Ugh. Before we let you go, I, I have to ask uh, uh, about like a, a somewhat unrelated. Uh, where do you get the time to do all this between behind the bastards? I'm a huge fan. I know Sam is a huge fan uh, of a lot of your work. I, I just your output is insane, sir. Can you like do you have the time turner from Harry Potter or I mean, what what is your workflow like? I mean, do you ever sleep? Yeah, I, I have a dangerously unhealthy work-life balance, which the coronavirus has exacerbated because it's made it made it harder to do some of the social things I would normally do. Um, and uh, I've always been a workaholic. Um, I, I put too much time into the stuff that I do, um, and uh, I, I live a really unbalanced life as a general rule. Um, it's not there's sorry there's not like a fun answer. Uh, sure. Yeah. It's, but it's um, so it's so well researched. Everything that you've done that I've seen seems so well researched, and I just I, I wanted to to, to 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 mention that because I, I just I don't know where you get time to read. I, I really don't, and it's it's very impressive. So kudos to you. Yeah, you know, there's a sense with most of the stuff that I do because most of my work in the last couple of years has really focused around a handful of broad topics that I I think are like of immediate importance, mm. um, like all the fascism um yeah and our <laughs> civil conflict and stuff um and so i uh i don't know i felt for a while like there there was sort of an immediate um a public interest importance to the work that i was doing that like you know it's the kind of stuff where it might potentially save lives um so that that keeps you that keeps you moving and 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 wanting to do stuff well, we, we really appreciate you and just everyone who's out there in Portland right now covering this. Is there anywhere where you'd want to recommend people can follow your work uh, and Portland in general? Um, you can find me on Twitter at I Write OK. Um, I have a podcast behind the bastards and a news podcast about this this year in politics called Worst Year Ever. You can find me on either of those things. I also write for Bellingcat. So if you go to Bellingcat, you can find like um, a breakdown of the the first like seven weeks of the protests and stuff that'll kind of walk you through how things got to where they are now. Um, yeah, you can find me in all of those spots. You can also follow my um, the people who've been working with me out at the demonstrations um, on at 45th absurdist, you know, 45th absurdist um, on Twitter. They've been doing a lot of, I mean, they were out last night when I wasn't out and filmed some really horrific stuff. Um, they've been doing great journalism and they have a cash app thing on there. So you could, you know, you know, donate some money to them. They're wonderful folks. Robert Evans, thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and the work you're doing. Yeah. Thanks for having me on.